we want to welcome you to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. We truly hope that the message will bring you the encouragement you need today. After you listen, we'd appreciate it if you take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. When you do, you'll be encouraging others to listen so they can discover the saving power of the gospel through God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5, if you would, this morning. James chapter 5. And while you're turning there, let me tell you the uh, story. I heard about three guys who were hiking, and they came across a large, wide, raging river. And they needed to get to the other side and had no idea how that was going to be possible. And so the first guy prayed to God, and he He said, please, God, give me the strength to cross this river. I need the strength. And poof, guy's arms got a whole lot bigger and his legs got a lot bigger. And he swam across the raging river and he did it in two hours. The second guy, he prayed. And he said, please, God, give me the strength and the tools to get across this raging river. And so poof, God gave him strong arms and a rowboat. So he crossed the river in just one hour. The third guy, he prayed to God and he said, please God, give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. And poof, he became a woman. And she asked directions from someone passing by, and she was told that just a couple hundred yards around the bend, there was a bridge over the river. And so the woman walked upstream, crossed the bridge, and uh, walked across it. She made it in 15 minutes, you know. Well, prayer is certainly a powerful thing, isn't it? But we better be careful of what we pray for. Today, I want to look at just a phrase in the Word of God, and then look at the phrase and the context of it. We're going to see that we are all called to pray for one another. Oh, I know. You pray for yourself, and you pray for your family, and you should, and I hope you pray in a powerful way. But God's Word tells us that we are called to pray for one another. Paul needed Timothy You know why? Because remember from last week, we're a family. God says so. You you remember from last week that we are likened unto a body where the organs need to function properly. And I want to tell you that the one and others of the Bible show us something. It shows us that we are community. Yeah, we're community. Paul needed Timothy. Paul needed Titus. Paul needed Barnabas. And he was the apostle Paul. The list goes on and on of people that Paul needed. You know why? Because you and I, we all need one another. I need you. You need me. You need the people around you. We need one another. And so today I want us to look at that phrase, one simple phrase, and then explore it. And that phrase is, we are told to pray for one another. James chapter 5, begin reading with me in verse 16. We'll just read three verses. 
It says, confess your faults one to another. Let me stop there. Do you hide your weakness? Yeah, we do, don't we? Should we hide our weakness? No. The best thing you and I can do is share with one another our weakness. Why would we do that? So that we can pray for one another. That's the very next phrase. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that we might be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. Now he goes in and gives us an example of a man. Elijah, he was a man subject to like passions like we are, and we, he prayed. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain <clears throat> by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth fruit. Today, you would have guessed that I'll give you three things, Right? And they're pretty simple. This outline, I mean, if you can't remember this outline, then God help you. I'll pray for you. (laughs) The first thing I want you to notice is the person praying. The person praying. Oh, God tells us who he is. Uh, His name is Elijah. And the reason that God tells us is because if we were to go to the Old Testament and look at the life of Elijah, we would find some interesting things. Do you know that a critical challenge of the church today is the need for the church to be a praying church? Praying for one another. We in the church today, we we tend to elevate something. You know what we elevate? We elevate those who are serving. And, And you know what? We ought to be serving Pastor Tim talked about how many hours the people just in, man, we had Upward yesterday, and it takes so many people and so many hours, and yet people love it. Thank you for serving in Upward. You're serving primarily a lot of people in the community that do not go here. And we are so blessed when we serve, but don't you agree that as a church, most churches tend to elevate those who serve But do you want to know who the unsung heroes are? The people who pray. People who pray. So I want you to notice with me Elijah in the type of person that he was. The type of person. The Bible says in verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So here's James' example, the man Elijah. But James tells us something about Elijah. He tells us that James was a person like you and me. Now, I know that it's like when we read the Bible and we read Elijah, it's like, no, 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 no. Elijah was up here, and we looked at him, and we're down here, and, you know, he was was the kind of individual that was such a man of God. Well, let's think about it a moment. If God's Word says he was like you and me, then was he like you and me? Elijah suffered. We suffer. 
Elijah got hungry, by the way. We get hungry. Did you know that Elijah got depressed? Really depressed? You say, well, yeah, but not depressed like me. Well, have you ever said to God, I'm fine with my life, just take me? Elijah did. Elijah said, God, just take my life. Are you ever afraid of anything? You ever get afraid? He said, no, man. Yeah, you sure do. Elijah got afraid. You remember, at one point, Elijah was such a man of God and such courage that he faced 450 false prophets just all alone, he and God. Man, what boldness is that? What amazing victory is that? But then, just days later, one wicked woman sent Elijah running. You want to know something? Elijah didn't have anything over on you. Listen to me, however. I tell you what Elijah did have. He knew how to pray. He knew how to pray. Oh, Elijah, he wasn't Superman. He wasn't Batman. But I tell you what he was. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. You know, sometimes when I travel, especially when I'm by myself, if I'm driving, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I'll kind of stack up some, maybe some sermons or some podcasts that I want to listen to. And the time really moves along pretty well. And then sometimes I'll turn on the radio and I, I'll find a station and it's like, man, I really, I, I'm really into this. And I, I'm, that's great. But all of a sudden, after 35 minutes, it starts to get a little staticky, doesn't it? And it's like, oh, no, I don't want to lose this channel. And then it gets more static. And then when I get far enough, far, uh, far enough away, guess what? It's gone. Gotten too far away from the signal. You see, you can hear the thunder if you're close enough to the location of the storm. A righteous man is close enough to God. You can't worship on Sunday and chase idols on Monday and expect your prayers to be answered because that's not a righteous man. The type of person that Elijah was, you find that he was a righteous man. But then it tells us one more thing about this example in Elijah, and it tells us not only the type of person but the tone of his praying. For God's word tells us something about it. It says he was an effectual, fervent prayer. So let's think about that a moment. He prayed earnestly. Effectual prayer. Effectual comes from the word energeo. It's a Greek word. The word energeo, you can figure that out, right? What's it mean? Energy. Energy. Energeo is the ingredient that turns ordinary utterances into powerful words. Energeo is the word that uh, is used for an athlete, uh, used for an athlete who is uh, straining with everything he has for the finish line. 
It's fervent prayer, effectual prayer. It's, it's a prayer that has energy behind it. Friend, nobody who has sin in their life will have energy in their prayers. Nobody. Do, do you know what it's like, as I do, to go to prayer and think of some areas of your life that aren't right? Let me ask you a question. Do you have energy in your prayer? Just shake your head no, because you don't. Now, when there's sin in our life, there's no energy in our prayers. This is a fervent prayer that comes literally from the gut. Let me explain that. Nobody who has sin in their life will have energy in their prayers. Remember that. And the fervent prayer is a prayer that comes from the gut. When's the last time you had gut praying? When is the last time you prayed with real gut praying for somebody else? I read a number of years ago about an African tribe, and these African people, once they were saved, they would literally go and they would find a separate place out into the jungle. So they would cut a path into the jungle, deep into the jungle, and guess what they used it for? They used their place for prayer. You know what happened? People in the tribe, they could tell when the person wasn't going to prayer much. You know why? Because there was grass that would grow up on their path. And they would literally say, and they would literally challenge one another and say, I see there's grass growing on your prayer trail. Christian, may God help you and me not to let grass grow on our prayer trail. Pray for one another. Let me give you a verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Listen, here's what it says. My little children, and it's talking about praying. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. All right, what's he saying by that? He's saying that I travail in my prayer life for you. All right, Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. If we were to go back to the story, here's what we would find. He went up to the Mount, Mount Carmel to the top, and the Bible says that he cast himself down on the earth. Don't miss this. And the Bible says he cast himself down on the earth, and he put his head, his face, between his legs in prayer. He prayed. Face between his knees? In the Old Testament, women, when they gave birth, they didn't have stirrups. You know what they did? The position for them to give birth to a baby is they would put their face between their knees and they would push in agony, laboring to get the baby out. That's the example that God's Word gives to what effectual, fervent prayer is. Laboring in prayer. You see, carelessness 
comes with prayerlessness. That's a good one to tweet if you're into tweeting. Carelessness comes from prayerlessness. So we find the person praying, righteous man, who knows how to pray with fervency and effectual in his prayer life. But there's a second thing, and you'll be able to remember this, not only the person praying, but let's talk about the person we are praying for. The people that we are praying for. Let me give you a couple of verses, okay? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, without ceasing, Paul said, I make mention of you always in my prayer. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, talking about Epaphras. Here's what Paul said. I'm always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you'll be able to be a, a strong Christian. You'll be perfect and mature and complete in all the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Did you know that the Bible is absolutely jam-packed and filled with men and women of God who prayed for one another? Prayed for one another. Oh, oh, you see, it's one thing for me to pray for me. It's one thing for me to pray for Brent Snook. It's one thing for me to pray for my children, my grandchildren. It's one thing for me to pray for the, everything that surrounds me. It's a totally different thing to pray for one another, you. Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses prayed for the Israelites. Nehemiah, do you remember the story of Nehemiah? Time out. Hey, he is all the way in Persia, and he's got a good life. He's got a good life. He's number two in command. He's there in the greatest uh, uh, powerful nation. He's got riches. He's got honor. He's got prestige. He's got it all. But his people back home in Jerusalem, the walls are down and they're unprotected and they're very, very vulnerable. Remember what he did? He gets praying. He gets praying for the people back home. He gets praying for his nation. He gets praying for Jerusalem. He gets praying for them. You know what happened then? He got such a heart for them. He went to the king and said, after praying for them, he said, would you give me a leave of absence that I might go back to Jerusalem? King did it. Why? Because he prayed. Goes back. Guess what? Man, oh man, he gets the people praying. He gets the people working. He gets the people moving. Hey, Jesus, he prayed for his people in the garden. Do you remember in Acts chapter 12? Let me give you another story. Here's the story. The people now pray for Peter. Why? Well, Herod's on the throne. Herod's a wicked king. Herod hates the people of God and anybody that followed Jesus Christ. Anybody that believed in Jesus and the resurrection, they are a target to Herod. So you remember what happened? Now pay close attention. James, he brings him in, throws him in prison, and then had his head cut off. 
Okay. Herod was pretty pleased with that. You know why? Because the people kind of liked it. So he decides to go ahead and go after Peter. James died. His head's off. Hey, let's go get Peter. They get him. They throw him in prison. But it's the Passover. It was unlawful to have anybody killed during Passover. So they're just letting Peter rot in prison until it's time that they can take his head off too. What happened? Well, what happened was the people got praying. Let me tell you why. Let me give you the results of prayers for one another. Do you know that when we pray for one another, it can literally save a life? Now, some of you don't believe that. But some of you do. It saved Peter's life. All those people, they are praying, they are praying, and oh, are they praying effectually and fervently. And all of a sudden, one day, while Peter's waiting in prison, he's sleeping one night. Remember something, when they were in prison, the Bible literally tells us in Acts chapter 12 that he was guarded by four different squads. One night an angel appeared, tells him, stand up, Peter. Get up, get up, get up. Peter stands up, the chains fall off his hands, fall off his feet, and the angel says, come with me, and he escorts him out of the prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison and my chains fell off, I'd still be really afraid to walk out of the prison, but not with an angel. <laughs> I get an angel beside me, I'll go wherever. He walks right out of there, and the people remember, here's the point, they're back there praying. They're praying for Peter. Peter finds his way back to the prayer meeting and he knocks on the door where they're praying for him to be released and he's pray, uh, knocking on their door. The Bible actually gives us the name. The name of a little maiden girl, probably a teenager, her name was Rhoda. She sees that Peter's outside. She runs back, doesn't let him in. She runs back, tells all the people praying on their knees, Peter's here. Do you remember what they said? You're crazy. He's not out there. Now, that's interesting to me because they're praying for Peter to be released. Why, why would God even reveal that to us? I'll tell you why I think. I think that God reveals that to us because God wants to show that we don't have to have perfect prayers for God to answer. Anybody here have perfect prayers? Probably not. But God answers hearts that are in prayer, and these people are praying for Peter to be released. He's released. They obviously didn't believe that he was released. Oh, it wasn't a perfect prayer, but God answered it. So let's keep praying for one another. I'll tell you what else is a result of prayer for one another. Our prayers can absolutely protect others from temptation. Do you know that you can make a difference in your kids' lives when you pray that they won't even enter into temptation? Do you know that you can make a difference in your wife's, husband's life when you just pray that they won't be entering into temptation? Do you understand that when we pray for people in the church where they're going out of town? Listen, I'm telling you right now, thank God for people that are honest 
and people that will say, I'm going on a business trip. Will you pray for me that I will be pure, clean, and won't be tempted? That's a wise man or woman right there. That's not a weak person. That's a strong person. That's a wise person. Do you understand that our prayers can protect others? Well, let me give you an example. Do you remember? Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But what did he say next? But I've prayed for thee. There's a third thing or a third result of our prayers for one another. Our prayers can provide others with what is needed in their life and needed in ministry. Peter was delivered from prison. Why? Because of prayer. Some of you here today are in your own prison. The prison of your own turmoil. Listen. Turmoil over your marriage. Turmoil over your health. The turmoil of your kids, no matter what age they are, they're always going to be your kids, aren't they? When they're 50 and you're 70 or 75. Turmoil of your finances, turmoil of the danger that you face, turmoil of protection, turmoil of, uh, of being delivered, turmoil of salvation. Everyone needs to know that somebody is praying for them, that people are praying for one another. Do you know how many times Paul asked for people to pray for him? Come on, he's Paul. He's the giant of the faith. He's the one that has so much courage. He's the one that's been beaten. He'd been stoned. He'd been in prison. He'd been left for dead. You name it. I mean, that, he's a courageous man of God. You know what he did? He said, will you pray for me? That's what he did. He said, will you pray for I need your prayers. Like, what did he pray for? For boldness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He asked people to pray that when he gave the gospel that it would come across with clarity and his communication would be strong. He prayed that, asked people to pray for him that he would have open doors. He's traveling everywhere. And he asked them, will you pray that God will open doors for me? He asked them to pray for the gospel's success. He asked them to pray for him that there would be deliverance from evil people who wanted to harm him. He said, would you pray for me? He asked people, even in Philippians, listen to this. He asked them to pray that God would meet his provision and would meet his financial needs. As a church... Our prayer as a church needs to be that God will move mountains. That God will move mountains. I am pumped about the way God is saving souls here at First Baptist. Since September. It's like, so, so Pastor, what, what are you doing different? Um, Pastor, what, what's the church doing different? I, I don't have a clue. I, I don't know. But I know one thing. There's a lot of people getting saved. 
and their lives are changing. And our prayer needs to be, dear God, would you move mountains so that nobody can explain it? But sometimes, God doesn't move mountains. Sometimes, God moves us. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer like we want. God answers prayer, but not always by moving a mountain. Sometimes God wants to move us. I was reading this past week. I've never heard this before. Maybe some of you heard, have read it and knew it, and I just don't know. But I read this week that 40% of birds in New Zealand can't fly. That's weird. But then the article went on and explained why. <laughs> because they don't have predators that are after the birds. And so those birds don't grow their wings properly. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is more concerned many times about moving us and growing us than moving a mountain. There's a fourth reason or result of praying for one another. The fourth result of praying for one another, our prayers can bring about God's evident power. God's amazing evident power. Charles Hatton Spurgeon, he is... Uh, the most quoted Baptist preacher that has ever lived. Now, I know you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what about Adrian Rogers? Well, he's the most quoted guy by me, your pastor. That's it. But Charles Haddon Spurgeon is the most quoted Baptist pastor that's ever lived. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. Did you know that 1892, he died at only the age of 57? Volumes have been written about Charles Hatton Spurgeon. He had the biggest church in London, England at the age of 19. <laughs> he preached to packed out crowds. I'm talking crowds of thousands and thousands. And he didn't even have any amplification. His sermons were so powerful, and his sermons were so eloquent. But do you know what he attributed the success of his ministry to? Not his ability to preach, but rather the prayers of the people in the church that he pastored. On one occasion, there were some college students, because everybody knew of Charles N. Spurgeon, and some of these college students, they wanted to go, and they wanted to uh, hear him on a Sunday night. And so they got together, and these college students, they, they went, and they found their way to the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, downtown London, England, and, and uh, they made their way there, and they were so pumped and excited, and they're outside of the church, and a guide uh, came up to him and asked them if they'd like to, for him to show them around. And they said, sure, but they didn't really want it. 
You know, you've, ever, you've never done that, have you? And so the guide began to take him around and show him different places of this massive, big, metropolitan tabernacle. And then he took him to a place down the stairs, down in the basement, and he opened slightly a door. And he said to the guys, he said, that's the power room, the boiler room. That's where things really happen. You know what those guys saw? A couple hundred people on their knees in this room praying for the service that night. They were intrigued, shocked, amazed, surprised. Closing the door, the gentleman then decided maybe he should introduce himself to him, and he said, by the way, I didn't tell you who I am. I'm Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Can I remind you, me and all of us, it is not how great a preacher is, but rather it is how much the people pray for one another and how much the people seek the mighty, powerful face of God. Which brings me to my last point, which is going to be so easy for you to remember, <laughs> and that is the person praying, the people we are praying for, and last of all, the, peop- the, the person that we are praying to. The person we are praying to. Sometimes, I'm convinced that we don't pray because we honestly do not believe. Would you agree with that? Or is that a harsh statement? Sometimes we don't pray because we really honestly don't believe. We don't believe that God is really able. We don't believe that God is really that caring We don't believe that God is so powerful that he can change our... We don't believe that there is nothing too hard for him. Although Psalm 62 verse 11 says, God has spoken once, he's spoken twice, have I heard this, that power belongeth to God. Jeremiah 32, verse 27 says, Behold, God said, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. He said then, Is there anything too hard for me? Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus beheld them, and he said unto them, With men this is not possible, but he said, With God all things are possible. You know what? Everybody in this room has electricity in your home. We have electricity. We live with electricity. We depend on electricity. But do you and I both understand, and we both believe, that we can have all of the electricity that we need and still live in the dark without any power? We've got to turn on the switch to get the power moving. You want to know what the switch is? Prayer is the switch that turns God's almighty omnipotence on. Prayer. 
Mary and Martha is a story that, and we all know, it's pretty easy. Mary and Martha, in case you're new and maybe I don't know a lot about the Bible. And by the way, if you don't know a lot about the Bible and you're here, we are so glad to have you. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're watching online. Everybody's in a different level of knowing the Bible. Mary and Mar uh, Martha, they were really good friends with Jesus. But there was another friend of Jesus, and that was her brother. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus got really sick. Mary and Martha did what they should do. They went and sent word to Jesus. He's sick. We know you love him. He's your good friend. Will you come? You need to come. And he didn't come. They got word back to him. You got to come. You got to come now. He's going to die. And he didn't come. Finally, Lazarus died. Hey, can I tell you something? When he got to the residence of Mary and Martha, you want to know what Martha said to him? Jesus, where were you? Where were you? Listen to me. It is okay for you and me, for us to be respectfully honest with God. It's okay. Where were you, Lord? Sometimes we don't know what to say, and sometimes we don't know how to say it. But I want to show you a phrase of what Martha said to Jesus that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle and we don't pay any attention to it. Martha said, Lord Jesus, where were you? He is now dead, and he's been dead for four days. Where were you? And then Martha said this. But even now. Wow. But Lord, even now. Yeah, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now. You want to know what that tells me? It tells me that when there seem to be no solutions, and when it seems like there is no way out, when it seems to me that there are no answers. Lord, even now. You ever been around somebody and maybe they were a friend, maybe they were a relative, and you had to say to them, let me have your keys. Everybody here knows what that means. Let me have your keys. Why? Because they're too intoxicated to get home. They want to get the intoxicated person home safely. So they say, let me have your keys. Hey, you and I live in an intoxicating world. Up one day, down the other. Sober one day, drunk with the cares of this world tomorrow. Can I tell you what? As a church, we need to understand 
that God can take our keys. And God knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. And when you and I get confused with the struggles of this life and we need a driver, he will come alongside of us and get us to the other side when people pray for one another. May God help us to know what it is to intercede for others. Let me ask you a question. Who here does not need the prayers of others? Let me, let me go ahead and, and do something I never do. If you don't need the prayers of anybody else, will you stand? You're very wise to stay seated, aren't you? Because every single one of us, oh, how we need prayers of others. Oh, how we need it. Do you know what that's called? Praying for one another. Do you know what it takes for a church to be a strong church? Praying for one another. Do you know what else that is called? Please listen. It's called intercession interceding you know what that is getting a person from this side of the bridge when they got to get to that side and it's helping to get them from that place to over here it's praying for them it's caring for one another it's caring for them in order to get them from there to there intercession I want to close by telling you a story of intercession. The story is told that in after World War I, America gave funds to Europe to take care of the orphans. There were orphans everywhere. Kids that had no mom and dad left. Their parents had been killed in the war. And so America, seeing the need, he America gave funds to Europe in order to build orphanages and help them with the orphans. And one day, a very older man, an older-looking man, and a very, very thin man brought into the orphanage a very thin young girl. He looked at the man on the other side of the desk, and he said, will you please take care of my daughter? He said, I can't take care of her. I'm too old and I'm too weak to work. Will you please take her in? The man asked him a question. He said, is she your daughter? He said, yes. The man on the other side of that desk so apologetically said, sir, I am so, so sorry. But if a parent is still alive, we are not allowed to take child in because of the dramatic circumstances the man looked at him and he said so are you saying that if both parents are dead that you'll care for her he said yes sir that's what I'm saying he picked his little girl up hugged her kissed her and then put her hand 
in the man's hand on the other side of the desk and looked at the man and said, then I will arrange it. That father went out and hung himself. You know what Jesus said to his father? Jesus said, Father, do you mean that if I die, they can live and have a home with you? And the Heavenly Father said, Yes. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven, came and hung on a cross, and interceded for us, and put my hand in the Father's hand. And Jesus made a bridge for me to get to God. That's what he did for you. May God help us who have been interceded for. Now intercede for others by praying for one another. I want to close with a verse. If you've been here very long, you know that this is where I wouldn't normally close, right? But I want to close with a verse. And the verse is found actually in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And in verse 23, here's what it says. Listen, and I'm done. It says, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. That's not the end of the verse. He said, as for me, that God forbid that I sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Folks, when we don't pray for one another, we're guilty. And so I say to First Baptist Church today, do we really, honestly, truly, sincerely want to be a strong church? Then if our answer is yes, it's going to take people who will truly pray for one another. I'm going to ask you to do something today. You can stay in your seat, whatever. I don't look at people who's coming and who's not. But I want to ask you to do something. You got people that are on your heart, that are heavy on your heart? Why don't you come and either stand here if you can't kneel or kneel here. And why don't you pray for one another? Why don't you pray for them? Say, this is a church service. I can go home and pray fervently, effectually. Right. But I can't think of a better time to say, Lord, we got a lot of people we need to pray for. And to come. But some of you here today, Jesus Christ interceded for you. Listen to me, look at me. He interceded for you. 
He left heaven. He came. And he died on the cross to get you from here on the road. You know the Bible says there's only two roads in life. The road of death and hell and the road of heaven and life. Here's what most people don't understand and don't get. The majority of people in our world are on this road. The road of death and the road of hell. But you can get off that road. And you can get on this road. Say, when? How? Today? By opening your heart and your soul and receiving the intercessor, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask everybody to please remain seated if possible. Unless you're on the praise team, I want to ask you to be seated. This is the most important part of the service. You're here today and you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You don't know for sure that you're saved. You don't know for sure that you're on the road of life. And I'm here to tell you today, God wants you off the road of death and he wants you on the road of life. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to embrace Jesus. And you can do that by praying a prayer in your own words, something like this. Pray, dear Lord God, I know that I am a sinner. And I know there is not one thing I can do to earn my way to heaven. But I believe that you died for me. I believe you interceded for me by dying on the cross. So Lord Jesus, right now I ask you to come into my life. Save my soul. Take me off that road of death and put me on that road of life. And pray that in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from God's Word. Before you go, if you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the message of Christ's love. Thanks again for listening.